0: You are listening to the Twibley Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for Worst Ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Welcome back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's going to see a concert wearing the t-shirt of the band that he's going to see. Because he's that guy. It's Mr. Jeff
1: McLaugge. Now, look, I've done that.
0: (laughs) I've I've done two under under certain circumstances. But ever since I saw that movie, PCU, where that line comes from, I don't. I don't because people call me out on it. They go, Oh, you're that guy.
1: Uh it was because I bought the t shirt at the show and I had no pockets because it was an outdoor, like open air thing. It was at um what used to be Great Woods, whatever the hell that's called now, Xfinity Center. Sure. So I was in like shorts and flip flops and a t shirt. I was like, All right, well now I'm in two t shirts.
0: Mine is when I would go to see the Marillion concerts up in Canada. Basically, mm-hmm. everybody just wears all their Marillion shirts so we can spot each other out in the wild. Right. <laughs> so I had a interesting conversation the other day, and it's kind of a tiptoe through the tulips of a conversation. So let's see how we can handle this. Okay. Um, we're Generation X, you and I. And we don't discuss this sort of thing on the show much, but we we both tend to lean pretty left, you know? Yes. Especially with social issues and stuff. Correct. Um, I like people. That's how. That's who I am. And I was hanging around with one of my friends, and this friend is considerably younger than I am. Um, they are just about 30. So, yep. you know, real young millennial. I'm not sure if that's zillennial at that point. I... I if I cared, I'd look it up. But I think that's, like, the last of the millennials, I think.
1: but I think they're called, race... like, Zillennials or something now.
0: Yes, whatever it is. So we were having a conversation about, you know, what's socially acceptable in comedy now, you know? Right. And, you know, I was talking about, like, Dice Clay and Sam Kinnison, and just, like, how things were... Whenever right. like you and I were teenagers, you know, of course, they're not having it. And I was like, you have to understand you're thinking with the 2023 mentality. Right. And, you know, I that's a, a, like a nineteen eighty 1983 mentality that I'm talking about. Right. I don't know. I guess the conversation was kind of like, you know, do we erase that or do we appreciate it for what it is? I don't know.
1: Uh, so, the risk of alienating part of our audience here, I am definitely of the belief that, yeah, you can go back and listen to that, and if your perception of it hasn't changed because of where you live now, in what, like, time you live now, uh-huh. then, then you sh- maybe some self-reflection might be necessary. I sat down and I watched Blazing Saddles with my kids. Blazing Saddles is usually like the, well, if you don't understand, like, comedy, you'll never like Blazing Saddles, etc., and right. it's a funny movie. And the stuff that they found funny was generally different than what made the movie Blazing Saddles. So, like, they were horrified by a lot of the race humor. And I, I was uncomfortable watching it with them. So I didn't sure. find it funny anymore either. But right. the stuff that they did find funny was, like, physical comedy, you know, the Gabby Johnson with the authentic frontier gibberish, the overall stupidness of the plot... They found all of that funny. So there are other elements of it that could be latched onto. I haven't listened right. to Andrew Dice Clay in a long time. But I'm sure if I went back to his, f- like, I don't know, second or third tape that my, that my brother... I bought for my brother because I was over 18 and he wasn't yet. Right. I would probably feel the same way, like, you know, wow, I'm surprised I thought this was so funny back when it came out. Because I'm not at that point anymore. I'm not there. The world is different and I have changed with it. Sure.
0: You know, I was trying to explain to them that... You know, in nineteen, you know, eighty-five or whatever. You know, it's a cop-out excuse of we didn't know any better, but right. seriously, we didn't know any better. Social changes take a lot of time. You know, yes. we were talking about when I say we, I'm I'm talking about my friend and I, not not just me and you, but we were talking about the movie The Creature with Two Heads that we discussed on the <laughs> show. You know, that's like nineteen seventy-two, seventy-three. Right, like. They were trying to do the right thing. They just went about it horrible. Cause in a sense, we were all kind of like homeschooled. We didn't know it. We didn't know right. any better because we didn't see it. We're moving in the right direction, is what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say. I think there is some value in going back and looking at comedy, you know, th- through a lens of this is what comedy was. You know? And to anybody that says things like, oh, you can't make jokes like that anymore, I'm all about that. I'm all about not being able to make those jokes anymore because right. comedy has to evolve. Otherwise, we'd still be watching, you know, a guy with oversized pants shooting a seltzer bottle down it, you know? Right. <laughs> you can't make jokes like that anymore, Jeff.
1: Can't because the places that you tell them, they're, they've all been converted into strip malls. Yeah,
0: they're all empty now, right? Exactly. Right. All right. So, but, but before we get into like heavy handed conversation like that, we do have our comedy podcast to get through. Mm-hmm. And yes, <laughs> there will be no blue humor or will there. Anyway, this is going to be the week beginning October the 30th. But before we get started, young Jeff, I have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Oh, there was a detective show that was very popular throughout the We'll say the 70s. There's your hint. Okay. Uh, An amateur detective show. Amateur detective show. And one of the characters on this show, his name is Norval Rogers, but he went by another name. What is that other name that our friend Norval Rogers is better known as? Oh, boy. All right.
1: Norval Rogers, huh?
0: Norval with an N. I know that's what
1: I said okay. normal normal okay. like norman but with yep. orval instead of orman
0: All right so you think about that and then we'll get, we'll talk about it at the end of the show but I will for do now, that For now Jeff it is October 30th which means it's
1: Halloween week <laughs> Yes
0: spooky spooky So what do we got for uh, October the
1: 30th October the 30th 1974 Modern horror is born with the release of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. A low-budget film, an indie film, a drive-in movie film, a B-film that becomes notorious for the brutality and gore that is in it in 74. And it's based loosely on events that took place in Wisconsin. And I'm going to let you say the guy's name because I always say it wrong.
0: Oh, that's okay. I say it wrong too. Uh, Yeah, your friend of mine, Ed Gain, was the subject of many horror movies. So, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was loosely goosely based on Ed Gain, whatever. Yeah, well, not really his life, just his house. Yeah, his house. (laughs) His house. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, and also, Ed Gain was the the model for Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, and also, ultimately, Norman Bates in Psycho. Yes. Which was fourteen years before Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which
1: is what we're talking about here.
0: Borderline it's almost borderline grindhouse. It has almost a grindhouse
1: look to it. Like it the, d- the totally is a grindhouse stuff, yeah. Me. Oh yeah. no, it is. There's no I don't even think there's a looks like it is.
0: <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I remember that was like it's one of like the big four. You know, this Halloween, T C M, Friday the thirteenth and uh, nightmare on elm street right. and texas chainsaw it was like when we were growing up you know we like you and i used to go down to like the video store and rent movies right and, I, and every week my friend craig and i would walk down to pine grove pharmacy and we would try to find you know the splatter movies and i remember right. texas chainsaw just being notorious
1: it you was. Know? I think it was rated X, right? It wasn't. The MPAA didn't. Either it came out unrated or it came out as an X. I don't think it came out as an R rated film. Uh, in you know, something? I, I
0: don't. Yeah, I don't have that answer. But I remember us renting it. And by 1985, which is when I saw it for the first time, I had seen some shit in horror <laughs> movies. So yeah. Texas Chainsaw kind of seemed tame. Yes. Compared to some of the other Splatterfest movies that we had seen at that point. But also that being said, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is leaps and bounds a much better movie than something that we'll end up covering on worst movie ever, Blood Cult. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever yeah, the hell, yeah. Yes.
1: I remember the first time I saw it, and it was like you, I had rented it from the local, you know, video store emporium. I was so excited. I like came home. I was nervous to put it on because <laughs> it's like it's you know it was always described as the most terrifying movie ever, the grossest movie ever, the most tense movie ever. And I put it on, and as I was watching it, I was I kept thinking like, all right, well that's it's not really gory. It's all right. Um, oh, this is pretty tense, I guess. But yeah. because well, th- uh, like this- we like we talk about with the world changing as we move ahead in time, right? Yeah. 1974 is a hell of a lot different than 1984 was, than 1989 was, or whatever. I watched it in between that span of, of years. Yeah.
0: sure. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes in the movie that are like pretty intense, even by 1974 standards, up against right. like 1984 standards, as we just said. Like whenever... Leatherface just lets the dude in the wheelchair have it with the chainsaw. It's kind of like the only chainsaw murder in that movie. Yes.
1: I will say this, and it's the rare time that I prefer a sequel to the original, but I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which the movie's like being on drugs. It's fantastic. And we wouldn't have had that without the first one. I saw TCM2 in the theater. Yep, me too. And without... Without seeing the first
0: one first, right? We just <laughs> went to see TCM. I was like, this is weird.
1: It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's way, way, way stranger than the first one, and I think that's what makes it so much fun to watch. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Dennis introdu- Hopper, who's like ninety six point five percent cocaine for the entire movie. <laughs> and it
0: introduces one of the best characters in horror cinema, Chop Top. Chop Top.
1: <laughs> Bubba's got yeah. a
0: girlfriend you done ruined my son about a wig <laughs> alright I can awesome. go on forever Yeah, um, so could I. moving on to Halloween October 31st 1988 I love saying this sentence out loud Halloween 1988 Debbie Gibson holds a seance at her Halloween party to contact the spirits of Liberace and Sid Vicious <laughs> and how did she do I Well, that's all I have. Uh, I don't have that answer. I hope she did well. I I hope she did well, too. What a party. Liberace and Sid Vicious, that's, I don't know if they would get along, to be
1: honest. I I, I doubt it. I'm sure when they asked, like, Liberace, do you have a message from beyond the grave? He would say something like, it's very spangly here. (laughs) There's lots of sparkles and He's, he says I wish my brother George
0: was here and George is like wow what the fuck dude <laughs> yeah I'm, yeah you're dead you can't
1: wish me there
0: and then or, is this or is this yep. really Sid Vicious it just spells out who cares on the Ouija board
1: and he spells it wrong
0: yeah of course
1: um. alright <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right. uh, yeah yeah right. uh, am yeah, I dead right. or am I still in jail oh, I can't remember um <laughs> uh where's Johnny and yeah, yeah. he just keeps saying <laughs> right, yeah, right,
0: <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Who cares? Do <laughs> you know what day it is? Yeah, right. Uh, Dude, so, Debbie Gibson is um right, yeah, right. Who cares? So, um, <laughs> years ago, I was there was this live, which is always a bad mistake. There was this live television show about Harry Houdini, mm-hmm. and they had like people that were related to him, and they were going to do a live seance on television to contact harry houdini and they had all sorts of like magicians and this that and the other right and the seance was just you know it, nothing happened because yeah. well guess why but what did uh, happen was this there was this uh uh husband and wife magic duo called the pen dragons right oh by the way the whole thing was hosted by william shatner which made it even better but anyway the Dragons. They were doing the classic metamorphosis, which Harry Houdini actually invented that trick. Mm-hmm. So right. you, got, you get the male magician, he gets locked up and puts in a box, get and put in a box, and then the girl, the assistant, gets on top of the box, covers herself with a sheet for a second, and then the male magician appears, and the girl is in the box,
1: right? Right, yep.
0: Classic uh, illusion. So they open up the box, and the girl's inside, and she was supposed to do a costume change right yep and this is live television now well she didn't get her bottoms on in time so they (laughs) open she they open up the box and she like sits up and she's got this look on her face like big smile guys (laughs) big smile and the guy goes to like lift her out of the box and she just looks at him big smile and shakes her head "Uh uh-uh No, and I guess he looked down and saw she's naked in the box like, okay, commercial time.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Awesome. Well, I think the whole idea of seances like that, especially when they crash and burn on live TV or or make for fantastic viewing. The
0: only seances that are ever uh, fruitful are fake ones. There, I said it.
1: (laughs) Yes. All right, moving on. All right, November 1st, we have our first celebrity birthday of the week. We have Mr. Anthony Kiedis, who's the lead singer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, born in 1962 in Michigan. That's who, it, 62. Yeah, he's he's a uh, he's a Gen Xer, man. Just about. Yeah, I
0: thought he was. Uh, I thought he was a little bit older than than. Well, I mean, he is a little bit older than we are, but I mean, that's he seemed much older at the time. I have a I, bad
1: thing with ages, anyway. I I'm not good at that either, but. I remember the very first time I saw a video for True Men Don't Kill Coyotes on MTV yep. and I thought, "What the hell is this?" This is the strangest thing. And it's like they had like dunce caps on and they're jumping around and Yeah. And I never I didn't see him again for years. And then they put out The Mother's Milk record, which made yep. me a, a huge fan. And a lot of yeah. it is because of not just the dynamic bass that Flea plays, but Anthony Kiedis is a fantastic frontman.
0: Yes, yes, he is. I used to hang around with this girl, Jen. And, well, I mean, I still hang around with her on occasion, but like we were like, we were just like carrots and peas at the time. Yeah. That, yeah. To, she was the Jenny to my Forrest Gump. And right. um, she was huge. She was huge into the Chili Peppers at that time. She's kind of the one that turned me on to them. It was Mother's Milk that was my mm-hmm. introduction to them. And it was also my jumping off point as well. Right. But uh, I remember she had the home video with all the, you know, with stuff like Chew Mendo Kill Coyotes and right. Catholic Schoolgirls Rule. Yep. And I liked all that stuff. The Red Hot Chili Peppers is just, we've just had this discussion before. They're yes. one of those bands that they met a man called Rick Rubin, and he just destroyed everything I liked about them.
1: I admittedly didn't like the Blood Trigger Sex Magic record at all. I bought yeah. it, and then I gave it away. Uh, gave it away, gave it away, gave it away now. Ah! Uh, the same day that I got it, believe it or not. Yep. But then a couple years after that, they put out the Californication record, which is also produced by Rick Rubin and is a fantastic record. So I don't know if if what they did was they were like, hey, Rick, here's an audio track of Anthony Kiedis reading poetry. Go tell us if we can make a song with it. And then they locked him someplace and recorded the record on their own because it's a great record. (laughs) And it's probably the best vocal work that Anthony Kiedis has ever done is on that album.
0: I forget what song or what the name of the song is. But when we used to play rock band over here, mm-hmm. my friend used to used to do one of the Red Hot Chili Pepper songs. But instead of singing the lyrics, he would just sing California over yeah. and over and over again. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah, Danny California. Yes. Yeah, from yeah.
0: California, California, California. Yep. All right. Moving on to November the 2nd, 1983, Michael Jackson releases the single, Thriller. Now- ah. If he was alive, I'd give him a call right now and say, Really? No- November the 2nd, you're going to do that, right? Not on Halloween? That's cool. That's cool, I guess. Otherwise, I would have had nothing to talk about. I wouldn't be able to talk about Debbie Gibson's seance. Right. But one of the meteors. Not the meteor like Nirvana, but it was a meteor that crashed to Earth. Oh, yeah. And just made a huge dent with the, th- uh, the Thriller single.
1: Opened up popular music on television, MTV, It opened up popular music to African American artists. Yep. First and And second. Well, that wasn't the first single either. It was like the third single, I think. It was, yes, it was the third single, but the second single was Beat It. The first single was Billie Jean. Right. Those got a lot of play, and then Thriller went bananas. Because it was like a 12 minute video that MTV scheduled to show every hour for a month.
0: Right. It was directed by John John
1: Landis. Yeah, it had a ton of money put into it, and it showed that the art form could transcend a three-and-a-half-minute song bracketed by commercials.
0: And, I mean, I knew who the guy was just because, well, because of my personality, I guess. But it was also like an introduction to a lot of people to Vincent Price. Yeah, yes. We did that little rap section there in the middle.
1: And to disclaimers that it's not a, it's not a song that calls demons down because of Michael yeah. Jackson's president religious philosophy.
0: I think we've talked about this on the show before, but it's worth mentioning again because it's a nice piece of uh, interesting trivia, mm-hmm. is Michael Jackson's Thriller is probably the best-selling Toto album ever to be recorded. <laughs> the band Toto, uh, for those who don't know, the band Toto, who you would know from the overplayed song Africa, they are the Cutting Crew band uh, if not all of them, some of them here and there, on thousands, in the thousands of albums. They right. they are probably rich beyond their own means because
1: that's a lot
0: of money coming in if they ha- there's any kind of uh, residual paychecks.
1: But anyway... Well, well like yeah. a funny thing about Toto, right, is they started in Wichita, you know, Wichita, Kansas, and they didn't start to get really popular until they, they moved to California and started to do session work. So Toto wasn't in Kansas anymore.
0: You, you're such an asshole.
1: <laughs> are they actually from Wichita? No, I just did that so I could land the joke, Bill.
0: Son of a bitch! It'd be great if they were, because that'd be a good name. Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, dad jokes
1: aside, I can tell those because I'm a dad.
0: All right, so moving on to November the
1: third, young Jeff. What do we have? November third, nineteen ninety-eight. Minnesota elects Jesse Ventura. Jesse the Body Ventura. Jesse the Mind Ventura. Jesse the guy in Predator who didn't have time to bleed Ventura as its governor. And if I'm not incorrect, he is the first professional wrestler that's ever been elected to office. I believe you are right. He also...
0: Oh, I was about to say, I think he's the only pro wrestler that was ever elected to office, but that is not true because Donald Trump gave Vince McMahon a clothesline at... One of the WrestleManias. And I think yes. he also took a stunner. Yeah, Donald Trump took a stunner from Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, great eh, uh, he he was was there area. There's an a- there asterisk first. there. But Jesse yeah. Ventura was actually a wrestler. Yes. I remember Jesse having a big feud with Ivan Putsky or Ivan Padusky, as he used to call him.
1: I remember him as, like, at the time I was watching wrestling when he was on it, he was already doing more commentating than wrestling.
0: Yes, Fitz so, uh moved him over to commentary,
1: and he was like, "I don't care, I get a paycheck." Right. Back when I was bench pressing submarines,
0: that was really interesting. That he, you know, ended up being the governor of Minnesota, and he was very, very popular. What's a what's a governor's run? Six years, right? Uh, it, yes, I believe so. So he was very popular for the, like we'll say the first. Four years of his run but by the time election time rolled around again the minnesota was all done with him but he he was very popular for a while
1: i think he might be the only libertarian that was ever elected to executive office like that or at least that high up in the executive office chain because he didn't he wasn't he was neither democrat nor republican when he was elected he ran a third party
0: yes he did that's right going
1: showing you what name recognition can do for you and he's a dynamic speaker he was a dynamic speaker when he was in Minnesota. He was a dynamic speaker before then. It's uh-huh. easy to see how he was able to sort of talk to the people of Minnesota to get himself elected.
0: I don't remember where he's the mayor, but Kane, you know, the Undertaker's little brother? Yes. Yeah, the, that that uh, wrestler, Glenn Jacobs. Yeah, he's the mayor of like some, I don't want to say Knoxville, but he's the mayor of a town in Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's you know, he's out that way too. So yeah, look out uh Jesse Ventura, here comes the the big red machine. <laughs> Last I saw of Jesse Ventura, he was hosting a television show about conspiracy theories. I think it was yeah. called Conspiracy Theories.
1: <laughs> yes, it was. I don't think he's done anything since then. Although I've seen him pop up now and again on like interview shows where he talks about a feud that he had with a guy. We're not going to get into the politics of that at all. But he's still, I mean, he's still out there. He's an interesting dude. Yep.
0: Yeah. Don't always have to agree with somebody to give them the credit for being interesting. And he's definitely yeah, an interesting dude. All right. Moving on to November the 4th, 1880. James and John Riddy patent the first cash register. Now, when I read this, it took me by surprise because... That's one of those things that you can't imagine life before it. Right. But of course it it had to be invented somewhere, you know? So I don't know what this first cash register looked like. I'm going to guess it was, you know, it, it wasn't digital, that's for sure.
1: Previous to having something that would automatically tally how much money was entered into it by its keypad, that all had to be recorded in a, a handwritten ledger. And if you've read, like, anything that I've ever handwritten... You would be yeah. at loss to try and figure out what <laughs> I was trying to calculate for numbers because my handwriting is not good. Right, I have an injured wrist that happened when I was in eighth grade, and because of it, my handwriting is terrible. So right. something that standardized and changed the way that cash that that numbers could be recorded and then checked off against a ledger must have been a huge change in the way that business was done. Because ultimately, even though there are scanners and sliders and cameras and touchscreens and all that stuff built into modern cash registers. They still have the same function to record how much money is given in to pay for a good that's passed out.
0: Yeah, because like modern cash registers, not only do they, you know, rally up the uh, the amount of money that's being spent, it also does inventory. It's all centralized and all that. Right.
1: Yeah. There's Um, definitely inventory control as part of a modern cash register. I remember my parents owned a restaurant when I was a kid. And I worked as a host. And I remember the changeover from where we used to put in 6.95 plus 7.95 plus 8.95 or whatever for somebody's bill into PLU123, PLU478, PLU393. And those those codes were tied to items that we sold on the menu. So it recorded not only the price of what it was that we sold, but the the name of it. So that when we checked our ledgers, you could see like, oh, we sold... 700 things of fish and chips this week. Last week we sold 610 things of fish and chips. The week before that we sold 800 things of fish and chips. And you can right. scale what you purchase for materials based on that knowledge.
0: Yeah, so it's more of like an it's it's like what we we're talking about before with the inventory control only thing and that's still in the analog sense. Yes. Do you remember I was like a little little kid whenever they switched over from when they first started adding the barcodes. Uh, like, well, the bar- the barcodes were on merchandise for a very long time, but I'm talking about whenever the barcoded readers started being a part of the cash register.
1: Yeah, I remember that. I was a teenager the first time I saw one of those. I'm, I'm thinking I was a little younger. I just
0: remember my mother laughing at it because... You know, old people laugh at new technology all the time because a person would like, prior to the barcode, they would like punch in the number by hand. And yeah. then with the barcode, they would throw it over the thing and it would go beep and it wouldn't register right and beep, beep, beep. Then the person would go, Ugh! and then type the thing in by hand anyway.
1: I also remember, remember when uh, George W. Bush was in a supermarket when he was running for, I think it was for a second term. And they were ringing up groceries like, well, that's amazing. Are those new? (laughs) (laughs) No, George, you're just way out of touch with the rest of the world.
0: (laughs) And wrapping up the week.
1: November 5th, we have the second of our celebrity birthdays and also another singer. So 1959, we uh, say happy birthday to Brian Adams, the Canadian singer songwriter. The male version of Celine Dion, <laughs> the guy who writes more soundtrack songs than anybody in the 1980s, the guy who has the same haircut now that he did in 1983. Somehow he's he arm wrestled Richard Marks for uh, candy bar. No,
0: <laughs> he's basically looked the same as long as he's been around. You know, he's, he's he's had very little change to his style. Right. I only found out recently. So anyway, Brian Adams is you know a Canadian pop rock singer from eh, the 80s. I remember the videos like Cuts Like a Knife and Summer of 69. Yes. And there was that dreck of a song that I'm sure that we'll cover someday. Um, Everything I Do, I Do For You. Yeah, he did with Sting and Rod Stewart. No, that was Awful Love. That song sucks too. Everything I Do, I Do For You, he sucked on his own. Um, (laughs) So... But prior to being signed, I did not know this. He had a lot of work doing songwriting. Right. There's a couple of songs on Kisses, Creatures of the Night that Brian Adams has a, like a co-writing credit. And also, let's just point this out. Our friend Brian Adams was born in 1959. In the summer of 69, he's talking about having a job at the drive-in, one of his girlfriends driving around in a car. And I'm like, hold on a tick there mr adams you were only 10 years old i'm starting to think that 69 in this song is not the year is it mr adams is it and he says (laughs) no it is not
1: (laughs) but that also you know we don't have to assume that the song is autobiographical even though it says i got my first real six string
0: no he's totally talking about a uh he's totally not talking about the year he said so in an interview ah He's like, yep, figured it out, huh? And gives it a wink and a smile. All right, uh, before we get on to our worst movie ever, we do have our weird holiday for today, uh, this week. And November 2nd, oh, what an uplifting one. Uh, November yeah. 2nd is Plan Your Epitaph Day.
1: Oh, joy.
0: Yeah. So do you have, a, do you have any ideas on what you want on your headstone? Because I've had mine planned
1: out for years. Uh, no. I never engage in this activity considering my epitaph has already been written thrice. Uh, <laughs> no. I'm sure it'll be something wonderful, but no, um, Is no. Something you might, if this time it worked out, you should have put three
0: times, the ch- third times the charm.
1: Third times the charm, yeah, no.
0: That would have that been a good one, but right. not this time. M- me, I I tell everybody, I tell my brother, I tell every girl that I date, whenever I die, on my headstone, you are going to put now maybe I can get some sleep. Yeah, because I go balls to the wall all the
1: time. You do, um, yeah, you're definitely you're definitely active, active, active person.
0: Yep, you get one ride on this merry-go-round. You got to get one of those horses that goes up and down. Yet most people
1: have one ride on this merry-go-round. Some of us have multiple rides. Of <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I guess if, if you if you, twi- if you twisted my arm and made me come up with an epitaph today, I would say something like, "Hanging out with Liberace." <laughs>
0: My favorite epitaph is I don't remember who's the gravestone, but it says "You're standing on my head," which I think is uh, hilarious. Nice. I told you I was sick.
1: It's another one. Yeah, that that's was another funny.
0: one. W. C. Fields' his gravestone says, "All things considered, I'd rather be in Philadelphia." Yeah, which is kind of funny. Especially, it's even more funny if you know the first half of the joke. W. C. Fields used to say. Ah uh, yes, Philadelphia. I spent a week there once. I think it was a Thursday. <laughs> Jeff, I I spent a week watching a movie this week. As a matter of fact Did you? This movie just might be considered <laughs> The worst movie ever. Uh so our movie this week was I don't know if we brought it up on the show or if we talked about it on a pre-show or whatever, but it had come to pass that you, being the big fan of the monkeys that you are, Yes. had never seen their movie, Head.
1: That's correct.
0: And now you have. Yes. And so have I, twice now. And I feel like I haven't watched it at all. That That movie's a mess, Jeff.
1: I watched it. And I absolutely loved it. And I spent the next, like, two days, whenever I had free time, like, looking for interviews with Bob Raffleson and Jack Nicholson and the surviving members of the Monkees talking about that film. And sort of what it was expected to do, where it came from, why it it came to be. And it made me love the movie even more.
0: It is interesting. I'm going to put this movie in this. Hear me out. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Pauly Shore is Dead.
1: Yeah, I like that one.
0: Yeah, and I find this movie to be very similar where Pauly Shore is Dead was 86 minutes of, you know, I used to do this, but I really want to be an actor now. I want to be taken seriously. And Head was kind of the same thing. Not so much that they want to be taken seriously, but they wanted to shake off their television image.
1: Yeah, they wanted to not be not be the monkeys anymore as they were known on TV.
0: They wanted to reinvent themselves like the Beatles had just reinvented themselves. Yes. So I uh, made the mistake or had the great foresight to start taking notes whenever I was watching this movie. Now, granted, it's a legal pad, okay? It's, you know, the the, the smaller pages. But I have 8 pages of notes here, Jeff. <laughs> Did you really yeah, because this movie's so phantasmagoric, which is our word for the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie's so phantasmagoric, it's really, really hard to follow a plot line other than these are the monkeys, and they don't want to be the monkeys anymore. Not the way you know. Right. Here go the monkeys.
1: Mickey, David, Mike, Peter, in head. Head is the most extraordinary Western comedy, love story, mystery, drama, musical, documentary, satire ever filmed. And that's putting it mildly. Head for general audiences.
0: Before we get into what I'm going to laughingly call a plot synopsis, I want to point out that this movie came out in 1968, right, like, probably like two days before the Hays Code ended. Right. So this movie has an MPAA rating of G. This is <laughs> Yeah, not, because
1: they were the monkeys. It is not a G-rated is, movie.
0: This is not, capital N, capital O, capital T, not a G-rated movie.
1: No. I'm sure the if G- any kids were in the cinema, they would have been absolutely and utterly baffled by what they were watching.
0: Yeah, the movie starts out with a ceremony of a bridge opening. And they can't get the microphone to work, and it, it's kind of like a running gag, almost kind of like the kind of thing you would see on the monkeys. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Mickey Dolans tears ass through the ribbon-cutting ceremony, gets to the edge of the bridge, and commits suicide! This is how the movie starts!
1: <laughs> the best of the later monkey songs that plays as he drowns, uh, the porpoise That's song. That's
0: actually my... Yeah, the porpoise song is actually my favorite
1: monkey song. Is it really? It's yeah. a great tune.
0: I'm, yeah. I, I love it. I think it. we've yeah. talked about it before years ago. Porpoise Song sounds like Pink Floyd before Pink Floyd sounded like that. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a really good song. It's probably one of my favorite monkey songs.
1: It's it's definitely where, like, uh, was it Goffin and King wrote that one, that they really understood what they were doing. I think doing it was a girl if, like, that wrote that one, Jeff. It's Jerry Goffin and Carole King. Goffin'. Oh, oh, King. King.
0: Right. Yeah. I don't know if that, I don't know if he's involved. I think it's just her, but whatever. No, I'm I'll, looking at I'll, it right I'll... now.
1: Jerry okay, Goffman and, and Gary Okay, all
0: right. yeah, yeah, go on.
1: And it it definitely shows how dialed in they were to the way that Monkey's music could work. Even though the rest of the songs on the album are less, I guess they're more. They're, some of them are more traditional, and a lot of them are weird movie songs. But Porpoise Song is the one that feels like an evolution of the monkeys from their first record all the way through Head and then what would come after
0: unlike the village people biopic can't stop the music right the songs that were in this movie were all original to the movie they weren't songs that were carried over from the series at all right Dolan's Mickey Dolan's is like flopping around in the water and he starts making out with a mermaid and then there was like this weird montage of calling them the prefab four. blah 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 right. they flip over to this like war scene which almost kind of reminded me of Pink Floyd, The Wall, where the they were, the war was an allegory for the concerts and stuff like that. Right, right, right. And then there's also like a football player that's in the trenches and he tackles yep. Peter. It's a mess, right?
1: It's, it's very confusing, yes.
0: Yeah. Then they go over to the song Circle Sky, which is another original song. Not a bad song. Good song.
1: It's one that Michael Nesmith would do on later albums that when he was a solo guy or with the first national band, that's become yeah. one of my favorite Michael Nesmith songs.
0: And then, here's the part that like, really killed me, pun intended, was, like I said, this movie's rated G, and they start showing the atrocities in, in Cambodia and in Vietnam, including yeah. that very, very famous photograph, which wasn't a photograph in the movie, it was film of the guy getting shot in the face right in the middle of the street.
1: Yeah, it was. And- there was something else. Uh, I'm sure that the kids in the audience in like 68... <laughs> expecting to see the monkey mobile and right and, and the unicycles and the dream wheels Daydream, yeah and yeah, here Daydream Believer we're like ah
0: so then Mickey Dolan's I'm only on page one over here still but Mickey yeah. Dolan's is out in the in the middle of the desert and there's a Coca-Cola machine that he just wants a soda because he's in the middle of the desert he's thirsty and he starts like fist fighting with it and having a hard time he starts talking to himself and then there's like Horse shows up, and then the Italian army shows up,
1: and they all right. start surrendering. <laughs> and then he blows the coke machine up with a tank.
0: Yes, he does. Yep.
1: Yes, he does. Yeah, it was. that was the most monkey-esque of the whole movie, was that scene. That was the one that was most like what you would see in the series. That uh, weird uh, non-sequitur yeah. humor that wasn't necessarily tied to the plot, but was still there because it wasn't very long. Yeah, but whatever
0: it got to the end of the movie, it kind of tied in and all made sense. Yes. So uh, then there's some harem dances that they are all kind of making out with, and then they play the song, Can You Dig It?, which is fine. Then all of a sudden, they're in a Cowboys and Indians scenario, and like, it's obviously a movie Yeah. with like a, a background screen yep. and stuff, and they're breaking the fourth wall. They're talking to the screen and all that.
1: Right. They end up in the, in the studio commissary. Peter is eating ice cream and staring at it intently. They all have a short conversation at the table and with the woman who's working behind the counter. And then they leave and Peter ends up like striking the woman behind the counter.
0: Yeah. He punches right in the face. He
1: punches right in the face. And then Bob Raffleson and Jack Nicholson show up and every, and Peter's like, Hey, you can't keep, you can't keep this in the movie. This isn't okay. This is wrong. Uh, nobody wants to see this man. That's not my character. It's out of character for me. And he's ushered out with everyone else. Again, yeah. where they're breaking apart the monkeys, right? So right. he's he's taken and away as like the dumb one kind of out of yeah. this like horrible violent scene and then and then pushed yes. into the street. But
0: they kind of like kind of save it because they take the wig off of the woman that he punched in the face and so it was actually a male actor right. in drag. Yeah. Right. So now they cut two and Davy is boxing, and Davey's all of like five foot three. He's not yeah. cut out for boxing at all. And Ephracello is kinda like the Adrian from Rocky character, even though that movie hadn't come out yet. And then, you know, Davy spins like a like an acorn. Right. You know, middle, middle, middle. Now they're doing a, a commercial for shampoo where right. they're all dressed up in white suits. So this supposed to be the dandruff on top of this, and you know, comically <laughs> Vic- large head. Hence the name Vic- of the movie. Victor
1: Mature's head. That's Victor. Victor Mature, the actor who was in Twenty Five Million Years to Earth back in, or Twenty Five Million Years BC, back in the nineteen thirties.
0: Oh, really? That was him.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, then they all get sucked up into a vacuum cleaner. Yep. And then probably your favorite scene in the movie: uh, Frank Zappa walks in with a cow. Well, he, he doesn't
1: do that yet. So, Davey does a, a musical number, which is like a Broadway musical number. Yes. Called, to the song, uh, Daddy's Song. And it's cool. Okay, yeah. It's, it plays on, like, what he used to do before he was in The Monkees. And it's, a, it's an okay song, I guess. It's not great, but it's okay. And the dance number is really kind of cool, which he does with Tony Basil before anybody knew who she was. And, yep. and then he walks out and Frank Zappa is walking by with a cow and he has this great line. And he says, that was pretty white. And Davey says, well, I am. And I thought, (laughs) wow, what a weird exchange for a 1968 movie that was shown to kids in like a matinee cinema.
0: Right. And, you know, tying back to the conversation at the beginning of the show, right? Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, Frank Zappa told Davey, you know, you should spend more time on your music, which is, like I said, that seems to be the point in the movie where they want to get away from the visual aspect of their career and get more into the music aspect.
1: What I liked so much about Davies, he has a storyline in this movie. First, he's he's introduced as being, well, he, he's, he's himself first, but then he's talking with Annette Funicello, who's a star that has already kind of faded from the early 1960s as like a weird romantic conversation like they would have in, in an episode of The Monkees. And then he does the dance number And then he does the Sonny Liston fighting thing. And the guy he fights is Sonny Liston, the guy who lost the uh, title to Muhammad Ali, that's who the boxer was that he was boxing. And it goes on for a really long time. And then later he gets more and more agitated and violent with everybody who's around him except for the other monkeys, which is all Mm -hmm. completely against the type that Davy Doanj plays on the show or the public image that he has because of it
0: there was another recurring theme in the movie where he kept, he's the only one that saw like a horror. eye staring at him like inside the medicine cabinet. Yes. Like everybody else that opened up the medicine cabinet, didn't see anything. Right. People listening to this that have never seen the movie must be like, they're making all this up. There's there's no, there's, yeah, there's no line of sense that goes through this movie other than they're trying to, you know, shake off their image. Right, I still got so many pages here, but I'm just trying to like cut to the chase here at one point or another Davey goes missing and they're all like looking for him this like telegram person shows up Peter runs off and Mike reads a telegram and now he's in the horror set that Peter just ran off into right there's a cult and then all of a sudden they're singing happy birthday
1: yeah it's it's weird there's a there's a, a recurrent theme in the movie too. Where they keep escaping from and then being put back in this black box. Yes. Which is like the box of their stardom based on their time on the Monkees TV show. No matter right. when they tried to get out of the box, they kept getting put back in. Even to the point where I'm going to jump ahead to the end for for the, the, the benefit of our audience and, and their sanity. Is yep. It's not just Mickey that jumps off the bridge at the end. It's all of them. They all jump off and they all end up in the in the water. And then it transitions to them all being in a fish tank on a Inside trailer. Inside that black box again. Inside that black box, yeah. They're all in a fish tank pressed up against the glass underwater. And on the back of the, the trailer is Victor Mature again, who is yep. laughing as they're driven away.
0: There was one point in this movie, and I made sure to write it down. They were talking with a guru... And uh, who, if, if he was somebody famous, I don't know, because he kind of looks like all the way gurus kind of looked,
1: you yep. know,
0: Indian descent, very long white beard, very longish, stringy white hair. Right. You know, uh, he was talking to, I'm going to say he was talking to Peter, but I don't remember. But he was talking to Peter and he said something very, very interesting. So I made sure I wrote it down. He said, belief is conditioning. Nobody just believes something. They have to work at believing it. Right. It's conditioning. And what else is history but a system of beliefs being disposed for another system of beliefs? And I was like, right on, Rand. Right on, Guru Dude. That is exactly... And that ties very well back into our initial conversation. You know? Yes. So, this movie is very short. It is 86 minutes long. But because it is so phantasmagoric and you're sitting around waiting for it to make sense, it seems a little longer. And there's another cut that's over two hours long.
1: I didn't find that experience at all. I found it was weird enough that it went by very quickly for me. In fact, mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, I wasn't I was sure it was 86 minutes. I had to go and, and look at the timeline. I watched it on YouTube. I had to yeah. look at the timeline to make sure that I didn't have it set at like 1.25 speed. All right. And it turns out I wasn't. I'll have to go back and watch it again to dig into some of the nuance of it. But I mean... You know what, though? I was... You ahead. know what?
0: The first what? time I watched it, because this is my second time watching it. The first time I watched it, I mean, there's no denying that this movie's freaking weird. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I had a much easier time getting through. Watching right? it the second time... I don't, I don't know what it was. But, I mean, granted, the first time I watched it was probably, like, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did like is, at the very end of the movie, all of the antagonists kind of, like, come back to, like, scream at them, including yeah. including the vending machine
1: that was <laughs> yes. harassing
0: Mickey earlier in the movie. And yes. what was interesting about it was, like, I didn't pick up on the metaphor, you know, at the first half of the movie— because the way it's presented is he's in a desert and he just wants something to drink, and right. the Coke machine's being a bastard about it. Right. But at the end of the movie, it's very obvious that the Coke machine is a metaphor for commercialism as yeah. a whole. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the way he presented it at the first half of the movie. In the second right. half, it's much it's much more clear. Like you mentioned earlier, the movie is choreographed by Tony Basil. Who the hell is Tony Basil? I hear you saying. Tony Basil was the young lady responsible for the, oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey song. which That's right. Holy shit, Mickey Dolan's. Was that who she was talking about? <laughs> Maybe. Very well could be.
1: I watched an interview with Bob Raffleson, who's the director, and he was one of the directors and producers of the Monkeys TV show. And he went off to do a bunch of like '70s movies that made a ton of money and were critically loved. Yeah. And the the next film that he directed after the Monkeys was Easy Rider, which is one of the foundational films of 1970 cinema. And the reason they called this monkey this movie Head yep. instead of Changes, which is the original title that Jack Nicholson presented, was so huh. that if it was really successful, when they advertised Easy Rider, they were going to say, "From the people that gave you Head." <laughs> <laughs> and they ended up using that, but it, it, it the movie was such a giant flop that yep. it wasn't funny. So,
0: All right. So uh, our review of the movie is just about the same length as the movie. But anyway, yeah, The Monkey's Head, it's available on YouTube. Watch it at your peril, I guess. Ah, oh, it's fun.
1: Just get into the it, spirit of the thing.
0: Yes, it is fun. Like I said, watch it at your peril. What I'm saying is, if somebody were to watch it, and they are the type of person that only likes, you know, action movies. <laughs> movies or that make a, sense. <laughs> yeah, a, a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you if you need to have your plot sped, uh, spoon fed to you, you're not going to enjoy this. But as a as a cinematic undertaking, this out of all the movies I've ever seen, this was probably the most recent. Yeah, yeah. So what? at any rate, uh, getting back to the very popular and always well received trivia question before we wrap the show up, Jeff, an amateur detective show in the nineteen mm-hmm. seventies, uh, right. even though it did start in the sixties, but an amateur yes. detective show in the nineteen seventies very popular. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a character on there. His name was Norval Rogers, but he was better known by another name. What is his more popular name, Jeff? Uh, Ratro.
1: I'm not where I noticed Rat. it's uh shaggy from that
0: is shaggy shaggy from scooby-doo's real name is norville rogers which i i prefer shaggy
1: (laughs) to be honest with you so do i
0: yep and uh i'm sure you know this who voiced shaggy on the original scooby-doo where are you
1: casey Kasem, who voiced all the cool characters in the
0: 1970s yep all right well, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody.
1: A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. Twibley is approved by Emperor Norton, protector of Mexico and friend to Canada.